Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm Erica, and I am from the University of Southampton. As Julie said, I work as senior um, teaching fellow in CHEP, uh, which stands for uh, Center for Higher Education Practice. And well, following on nicely, I think from what Ruth said. I am going to present a case study and in particular um, I will be talking about a program called Orientation to Teaching and Demonstrating um, which we have at the University of Southampton. Well, we have had it for <coughs> two to three years and it's still kind of in flux a bit so I will tell you uh, about our approach in particular about um, the blended approach and I think some of the things that I will say will sort of again link very nicely with some of um, uh, what uh, Roots has just said a moment ago. Um, <coughs> so uh, yes, in a nutshell I will touch upon a blended approach to postgraduate researchers, educator training, I will talk a little bit about disciplinary variations in training and also um, I will say something um, about the impact that the pro program has had so far. Uh, so, the rationale for this OTD, uh, Orientation to Teaching and Demonstrating program, uh, was that PGRs uh, were going to be given one day training which they could use again uh, for um, developing as teachers. Um, the challenge was very much uh, based on demand versus capacity, so we, uh, there are at the University of Southampton, there are approximately 450 PGRs with teaching responsibilities and we have a very limited capacity for educator development so in the past um, these some of these PGR students with teaching responsibility were kind of uh, <laughs> directed to programs like PGCAP and there was a problem because the programs like PGCAP uh, are really uh, tailored to the needs of uh, early career staff and lecturing staff but not so much to the needs of PGRs which I think Ruth has explained so well and I will not go over them again. Um, so we, we adopted a collaborative approach and when I say we I mean sort of us in CHEP, Julie uh, uh, from again in her sort of researcher developer capacity and in collaboration with Doctoral College we uh, came up with a model uh, which sort of supported the implementation of the program. Uh, so the model is very much based on a passport model, so you've got to pass phase one in order to go on to phase two, and then there's also phase three. Um, again, unlike PGCAP, is a non-accredited program. Um, however, parts one and part two are compulsory, uh, or supposed to be compulsory for PGRs with teaching responsibility. And that means, uh, very much in line with what Ruth said, that payment can be withheld until part two is completed um, and also again provides support to seminar leaders and demonstrators hence the title <laughs> orientation to teaching and demonstrating um, and I will tell you a little bit more about these two different roles which uh, um, again presents us with the first of many issues um, which is the terminology so some people again don't know what demonstrators do or what seminar leaders do sometimes even the supervisors don't know that so uh, again th th there has been a little bit of um, uh, complexity around this issue 
So in brief, uh, this is the, um, the model for, for the program. So OTD1, as you can see here, is an online phase, hence again the blended approach. This is very much an information uh, sort of um, type of phase, so where students go, P PGR, sorry, uh, go online and they um, sort of go through a set of steps uh, and start sort of gathering information about what their supposed teaching role is going to be when they go into the classroom. And then, <clears throat> having completed orientation teaching demonstrator one, they go on to a face-to-face -face session, yeah, OTD2, which is again a two-hour session, so it's quite limited. And I'll tell you a little bit more uh, in detail what we do in the session, but this session uh, gives them an opportunity to come together, share practice, know each other, come out of the isolation again, which was just described so well. And after that session, they are sent into the classroom. Um, after completing OTD2, um, some PGRs have had an opportunity to go on and do OTD3, a third phase. Um, this phase is still very much uh, ongoing and in progress, in construction. Um, so some faculties, um, well, the first thing I need to say is that it has been devolved to the faculties. So the faculties come up with their own professional development tailored to the needs of their own PGRs teaching uh, their courses. Um, so some of them have uh, done, for example, academic integrity development or marking and assessment development, uh, EDI or other uh, type of developments which are sort of defined by faculty. So our uh, input in this phase is very limited. This has also meant that some of the faculties have done it very well, other faculties mm -hmm. have not done anything mm -hmm. at all. So um, yes, th there is a bit of, uh, of, of, so there are differences uh, in, that, in that area. So the blended approach, as I have just sort of explained, the first phase is very much an informative phase. So students go online and um, in this phase they are sort of free to browse uh, this resource which is um, powered by a platform called eFolio and they find videos quizzes, audio written notes, interactive diagrams, as you can see, you can probably read anything of this, but I, I can sort of tell you that uh, th this is the type of um, activities that they can do when they sort of go online. Uh, quizzes, for example, have been quite useful because, uh, again, of this um, a terminology issue that I have explained a, a moment ago. So through the quizzes, they are kind of sort of taken gradually through an understanding of what their role is supposed to be in the classroom. And this is a role that in a university like Southampton, probably in others as well, um, varies uh, quite, uh, quite radically. Um, they also have, again, an opportunity to listen to, uh, watch and listen to videos from, again, established academic, like the one uh, you see there, but also uh, done by other sort of PhD students uh, with teaching responsibilities. And also, again, they, they've got like a, a number of, of resources, interactive resources that they can tap into. And the, the purpose of <coughs> this phase is to get PGR students to write notes and uh, to make them reflect on some of the responsibilities that they are going to have in the classroom. So even if they have not taught, 
yet they have an opportunity to start thinking about it. And in the second phase, at the face-to-face -face session, we ask them to bring along those notes which they will use to, um, uh, to reflect. So uh, the face-to-face -face session is a compulsory, again, as I said, it's very much about sharing practice and it's, uh, again, very much based on reflective practice and it builds on the online module, so participants <coughs> write up their own notes, they can only access the face-to-face -face session if they've done that task, um, and they use their notes to um, reflect. Uh, <coughs> so the main purpose of the face-to-face -face session is to get PGR students to think about the learning process and to discuss it with, uh, with peers. Um, and the second very important uh, point uh, that a face-to-face -face session makes is uh, um, this last one, reflect on how they conduct themselves in a session. Um, how their behaviors affect the learning outcome and also how they interact with students. In other words, if they are demonstrating, for example, in a lab, we don't want them to hide behind their phones. We want them to be a little, you know, supportive, to welcoming and supportive uh, in, uh, with students. Um, I don't know if you can read from back there, probably not, but these are some of the learning outcomes um, of the face-to-face -face session. And uh, by the end of the session, um, I usually ask them to self-evaluate against the learning outcome. So if they've got to sort of check that they have consolidated their learning, understood the learning process, developed skills, and, um, and so on. Um, so what we do in the learning, in the face-to-face in -face session, we try to model active learning. So in other words, we run the session, but we ask them uh, to reflect on the way in which we run the session while they're doing the session. I don't know if that was clear, but basically we ask them to critique us. So that's, that, that's what we do. So for example, uh, we ask them uh, very, uh, uh, at the beginning of the session, after we've kind of uh, introduced ourselves and we kind of created the learning out uh, environment, and we ask uh, them to reflect on the techniques that we used and uh, um, Later on, there is an activity on uh, about the learning process, and again, we ask them to uh, think about it and deconstruct the session, and think about how um, think about the techniques that we used uh, mostly, and also leading on from that, we uh, ask them to consider a session plan. Okay, the <laughs> the um, difference again with programs like PGCAP is that at this level PGR students don't really need or are not necessarily required to come up with their session plan, they are not required to write learning outcomes. Generally they are given the teaching, thrown in at the deep end and uh, got to come up with something. So, we, uh, so this is the reason why we ask them to read a session plan, um, come up with their own session plan if they want and reflect on the, the process. Um, and then <clears throat> this is again the big um, point which um, <laughs> the big question uh, we ask them uh, 
how do they know if the students are learning or not? And this is where, again, I ask them to either self-evaluate against the learning outcomes of the session, and again, this is a technique that they can use as well if they want, or um, tell me the three takeaway points from the session. Well, this is all something that all of you know already because all of you are excellent teachers. So the, the, the post-it <coughs> notes that you see in the pictures sort of gives give uh, an example of uh, what they've learned. You can't read them from, <laughs> not even from the front, I can tell you. So I tried to take sort of very um, high resolution pictures, but it didn't work. So this one is where they, again, self-evaluate uh, to the learning outcomes. So again, you don't see this, maybe this one is a bit better. So yes, that added something to my knowledge. Uh, but again, you, you have like some, some of the learning guys are saying no, that didn't help at all. So that again, it's very useful for us, it's um, an evaluation for us as well. <coughs> so this is what we do in the face-to-face -face session. Um, before I move on, I just wanted to say a couple of things which were kind of um, new for, um, for us when uh, we adopted this approach. So the whole idea was that this was going to be a collaborative approach, as I said at the beginning, and also that it was going to be targeted to the needs of um, PGRs. And I think that, that in, in that sense, this program covers um, these two sort of aspects. Um, has it been successful? Well, we hope so. <laughs> um, these are some of the numbers um, which, um, again, relate to the year 2018-19. Uh, so a grand total of 312 participants sort of took the online um, phase. We know that. And uh, uh, all of them should have gone through to doing a phase two and this is the breakdown again of the of the faculties um, at the University of Southampton. So as you can see, engineering and physical sciences has got like very high numbers, as well as environmental and life sciences. And this is where the differences uh, in um, our approach are mainly because in engineering and physical sciences there are a lot of demonstrators so some of the sessions we needed to tailor a little bit more to the needs of demonstrators and others like again uh, humanities social sciences um, they have mostly sort of pgrs teaching um, sort of seminars and in that sense we obviously tailored the face-to-face -face session to the needs of um, seminar leaders. Yes. Some of these differences uh, always sort of uh, are, again, I mean, as I said, we, we kind of only just slightly tailored the session, so we, we could do even more, but because of capacity, we, 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 did, we did it in that way. Um, as you can see, there are 162 demonstrators and uh, 33 seminar leaders. Um, so again, yes, I should say something about the reasoning uh, about uh, of behind having two groups. Well, 
it's again to meet different teaching needs so the pressures are different the pressures on seminar leaders are different to the pressures that demonstrators sort of experience and when I say pressures are different I mean that both have pressures not just one group has pressures and the other group doesn't have they are really different the questions are uh, again that we get from seminar leaders and demonstrators are again different and they they have different issues in the classroom so um, which aren't necessarily always related to their disciplines but also to the type of environments that again demonstrating um, sort of implies as opposed to uh, leading a seminar and also the level of, of experience differ a lot seminar leaders are usually people who most of the time have already had some teaching experience so when they come to our courses they kind of build on that experience they work with generally very small groups so about 10-ish dozen people uh, whereas demonstrators are usually again in the stem um, subjects they arrive from abroad often and uh, first weeks within fir within the first weeks they are sort of again thrown in at the deep end and they have got to teach uh, big usually big groups of uh, of students and that can be uh, difficult and daunting so what was useful these these are some of the main points that came out of the <coughs> students evaluations um, well participants evaluations uh, so they thought that the interactive discussions were useful that looking at lesson planning again was a useful thing to do. Uh, they became aware of resources and teaching materials that they wouldn't normally come into contact with through the sessions and also through the, the, the online version. So I, I mark this with a star, discussions about how to deal with difficulties because that comes up a lot and they are really um, terrified uh, by difficult students <laughs> and that is a constant throughout uh, the program um, and uh, uh, again they feel that that kind of uh, so the brings to the surface the, f the fact that they aren't perhaps very confident and that the confidence is the bit that we need to sort of work on a little bit more. Um, and again, they, they find sort of learning about the, the, the learning process uh, very useful as well as uh, the content that we kind of um, present uh, during the session. And the group work, obviously, is something that brings them out of their isolation, gets them to talk with other PhD students around the, the, the university. So it's something that is very much appreciated. What was less useful? Again, <laughs> we, we asked them usually to rate and evaluate the online course for us during the face-to-face -face session. And uh, Julie's come up with this lovely uh, activity where they have to stand under a smiley face, a not-so-smiley face, and a very not-smiley face, <laughs> uh, in order to say, well, if they were happy with the online course. And again, so part of the course could be sort of uh, reviewed and revamped to not to sort of overlap so much with the with the face-to-face -face. 
Um, the resources could be updated again. I mean, we, we are working um, full capacity, so we, we, we would be good to have somebody who does that for us. And the room layout sometimes is limiting, guess what? <laughs> um, so yeah, this is very difficult, difficult sort of area to, uh, or message to get across that, uh, yes, there's very little that we can do about the rooms sort of physically, uh, although we have new buildings on campus, so <laughs> that makes us very happy. Uh, but obviously, uh, again, the learning environment is, goes beyond the room layout, and sometimes it's about finding technique, um, techniques which allows you to work within a limited space. Um, so from a, a staff pers perspective, um, the difficulties were the facilitation of part two. Again, we have to cover big numbers and it's just uh, myself, Julie, last year <laughs> and, and the year before us two plus a very small number of, of facilitators. So even if the approach was collaborative and meant to be collaborative, it has also been difficult because obviously this impacts on everybody's workload and uh, there's very little recognition for it, I would say. So I've started adopting uh, a different um, approach, that's number two, so that I've devolved everything to the faculties, which has worked in part, uh, is starting to pick up, but um, that means that there is much less coherence um, of how, in how we, we deliver the program. So uh, again, this could potentially lead, I don't know, I haven't got any evaluation data, but could potentially lead to uh, certain PGRs being uh, better supported than others. Uh, so uh, keeping that, I don't want to say control, but keeping the coherence of the program and that collaborative approach going requires a lot of effort. And again, we are a bit understaffed at the moment. Um, and the next step on from OTD are, well, Again, I don't know if these will be implemented, but it would be good if they were. And again, demonstrators are a, a very um, peculiar group of, um, of teachers because they really want to see what, they, what another demonstrator did. So they kind of struggle to uh, get to grips with the concept. And um, again, the students sort of required, <coughs> participants required sort of role play scenarios to be discussed in session mostly in relation to the difficult students. So what do I do if I find myself in that situation and I really panic and I don't know what to do? And again, resources again for managing um, students' behaviors. So this is the bit that they find mostly difficult. We've also got a lot of international um, PGRs who come again from other education systems, like I was, by the way, so you'll have realized by now that I'm not an English speaker of English, <laughs> a native speaker of English. So, uh, it's, uh, again, something that really uh, makes them feel really uncomfortable. Um, my own reflection and suggestion, having run the program, um, so this is the part that we only start uh, sort of the criti critically reflecting on the teaching and learning process, is something that we only start uh, exploring in the face-to-face -face session, but what happens after that? So we don't know if they keep using that reflective approach. And... Uh, I'm nearly finished. <laughs> uh, the, 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 I ran a, a confidence in the classroom survey, which was very illuminating because everybody felt that they were super confident, whereas the message that comes across in the face-to-face -face session is really quite the contrary. So they are, they feel that they, that they are confident, but faced with particular specific situations, um, 
so they don't really know what to do and they want um, they wanted to tell them exactly what they need to do so it's more like that you know okay perhaps I don't know what to do but I can use for example a reflective practice I can uh, come up with my own techniques which work for me type of thinking that they need to develop um, yes we, they don't <coughs> do just yet observations of teaching so they don't receive them so that's something that um, I would like to implement across the board of disciplines across levels for the whole university and I think that a um, good uh, peer observation of teaching from um, an expert teacher could potentially be a real treat for somebody who is starting to teach um, so again we are looking at ways in which this can be implemented I'm also trying to reinforce this for PG Cup so I don't know if there are links which I haven't explored yet but there may be and also the module leader <coughs> uh, to be more inclusive or active in supporting um, uh, postgraduate students so we found out in the face-to-face -face session that again sometimes when we say they're thrown in at the deep end is also because sometimes they haven't got the support of the module leader or full support of the module leader. These are a few data for you, or some data. Um, so we did a little bit better going from 2017 to 2019, uh, but we can still improve, I, I suppose. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the results of this survey are for this year when we have devolved everything to the faculties. And I think that's my last slide. So what are the potential benefits for uh, uh, the program? Well, in practical terms, uh, I think that uh, uh, one of the benefits is potentially to train confident teachers or start training confident teachers. So to really... Um, get boost their confidence and again as Ruth mentioned progression to um, associate fellow of HEA should be like a natural progression uh, for everybody doing this program uh, but it's not at the moment so again there's a, a missing link there um, <coughs> the reach of the program is good I mean we reach out to a, a large number of students uh, PhD students but we don't know if again um, that reaches out enough could be better and again meets a range of needs as uh, we've uh, explored and it's co-designed by a range of professionals which sometimes entails better decision making sometimes <laughs> okay so that's that's the program thank you very much for listening to me